0: My first assignment was Lagos, Nigeria. Mm. And it, you know, kind of has this, I would say, sigma of being like not a desirable place to go. I never understood that because, I mean, I had an amazing time while I was there and I loved it. And I think Nigeria is a beautiful country. But yeah, it was sort of like you could see people looking at me during this like reveal day where everybody kind of figures out their assignments and they were like, Oh, are you going to be okay? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. You know, it's like, I, I put this high on my list because I thought it was going to be really, really cool. And yeah. so, um, yeah, I've always kind of had this fearless mentality. You just, you have to, cause if you think about it too much, I think you're just going to be in your head and, yeah. and talk yourself out of it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> be great. And it was great. And really, to be honest, I think anybody who feels that way has never been there. Right. Won't you
1: come along with well, me? Hello! Welcome to Young Gifted and Abroad. Perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Katrina as the guest. Uh, But first of all, I have to say, uh, given what's going on right now, I have been feeling overwhelmed by the events that have transpired in the past two weeks, especially surrounding the death of George Floyd, who was murdered by cops in Minneapolis on May 25th, 2020. Another name that's being lifted up right now is Breonna Taylor and she has been on my mind every day because she was a louisville resident and uh, louisville that's where my mom is from that's where much of my family is so louisville is very close to my heart and so is brianna taylor she actually i recently learned she is from michigan like i am but you know her family moved to louisville when she was younger and lived there for a long time and then on March 13th, 2020, she was murdered by police in her home. And actually recently, her, um, this past Friday, June 5th, would have been her 27th birthday. And so uh, a writer named Kate Young organized this wonderful and wide reaching campaign called Birthday for Brianna, uh, which includes action items to both honor Brianna and her birthday but also to demand justice in her case because no one has been held responsible for that yet. No one has been arrested, no, no cops have been arrested, no cops have been charged for, for murdering her, and so that's one of the many things that people are fighting for right now. Um, and I'll include links to the Birthday for Brianna campaign and other resources as well in the description for this episode and the blog post for this episode as well uh i i will say that i i feel proud and i feel encouraged by the boldness and protest that i'm seeing the consistency and protest that i'm seeing and also the the solidarity that i've been seeing not only uh, across this country in the states but also around the world um, it's been beautiful i've been really moved by by the solidarity i've been seeing uh, on the other side of things, uh, I think people are forgetting or just choosing to not understand that no justice, no peace means literally that. If we don't get justice, y'all don't get peace. Or as Fannie Lou Hamer, the great activist Fannie Lou Hamer said in the documentary, The Heritage of Slavery, in it she said, If we don't have it, you ain't gonna have it either. So Black Lives Matter And I encourage you all to do what you can To support the movement for Black Lives Because there is something that everyone can do To support the cause And so I'll leave it at that for now Also in podcast related (laughs) news The second anniversary of Young, Gifted, and Abroad Is coming up next week on Juneteenth that's June 19th next Friday I picked that day purposely when I started this podcast so I um, uh, well because it's easy to remember and also so I could celebrate this podcast but also celebrate Juneteenth and the the freedom and history of black people at the same time so yes next Friday Juneteenth there will be second anniversary episode of this podcast and this time around I wanted to try something new and do a Q&A. So if you follow Young Gifted and Abroad on social media, at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, at YG Abroad on Twitter, uh, you will have seen a video that I posted asking for your questions. I don't show my face that often, but this time I did. I'm taking questions until June 15th. So if you happen to listen to this episode after June 15th, then uh, feel free to send me your questions anyway. I'm sure I'll be happy to answer them, you know, further on down the road as they come. But specifically for questions that I'm going to answer in the anniversary episode, uh, I want those by June 15th. So please send them to me. could be anything about podcasts, about studying abroad, about traveling about me you know it could be random things like you know my favorite things or like would you rather questions or i don't know what i'm reading or watching right now it could literally be anything whatever you're curious about in relation to me and young gifted and abroad i encourage you to send those questions my way either via dm or you can comment on some of the things i posted in relation to the q a or as always you can email me at young gifted and abroad at gmail.com so back to today's guest, Katrina. Uh, Katrina and I, our families went to the same church for a long time when we were younger, and so she was a few years older than me. I was in <laughs> I was in Sunday school the same Sunday school class with her younger sister for a while, and so. Um, I would see Katrina in passing but you know we never got to know each other on a personal level just you know kept in touch online and Katrina for about four and a half years she was a foreign service officer which is a a type of diplomat and so um, she served in Lagos Nigeria and then Rome Italy. She actually got a fellowship, the Pickering Fellowship, which paid for her to get her master's degree ahead of joining the foreign service. And um, it's interesting. I think I actually visited her in. I was still an undergrad, and I happened to be in D.C. and I was considering maybe pursuing a career with the State Department. And so she was there, and she was gracious enough to meet with me and talk about her experiences, what she was, what she was up to, and. You know what options there might be for me at the time so yeah that was very helpful very gracious of her to set aside some time to speak with me back then and here we are (laughs) here we are all these years later whereas um, in the case of joe from episode 40 who at the time was preparing for her first assignment her first overseas assignment as a foreign service officer. Katrina is on the other side of things where she has served a couple of tours and transitioned into something else. She decided she wanted to make some life changes. She wanted to try something new and now she works in tech policy. She does tech policy in New York. So uh, she told me about, you know, how she found out about Pickering and the Foreign Service, why she decided to join, uh, her experience in Nigeria and in Italy, respectively. And then also, you know, what came after that and and how things have unfolded for her so far. So she seems to be doing well. Uh, She had a lot of insight very pleasant to talk to and i really hope that you enjoy our conversation so without further ado sit back relax and enjoy my interview with my friend katrina drayton but i mean i'm glad that that you're doing all right you know yeah things are good yeah I know it's been a long time since we've spoken, but again, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to just have a have this conversation with me today. Um, so let's see. Why don't we start with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind?
0: Sure. Yeah, I'm more than happy to do that. My name is Katrina. I live and work in New York City. Uh, I work in tech where I do policies, so think like content moderation, policy, uh, dispute policies, things like that, more of a trust and safety kind of flair. I've been living in New York a short time. I've lived a lot of different places, including abroad, Um, and I'm really happy to be here on this podcast and speak a little bit about experiences living, working, studying
1: abroad. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really cool. How um, because I didn't I didn't know until very recently that you were in New York and and working yeah. in tech and so it's it's recent. It's yeah, really recent. last I, I heard, heard in Austin. Yeah, because last I heard you were a foreign service officer, and I guess I yeah. don't think much about what comes after that. Like if that's a lifelong thing for people, or if they transition into other things. So Absolutely. yeah, that's really interesting that you've where you've ended up since since then. you know.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think the foreign service in general as an institution is something that is meant to be kind of a lifelong career. You know, that's the whole model. They like to get people in sort of early in their career and have them stay as officers for a full career, which is usually in the 25, 30-year mark. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything's kind of set up for for that sort of career trajectory. And I think there are a lot of questions for people who get to a point where they say, okay, maybe this isn't for me for a full career. Maybe I wanna try something else. For any reasons, I want to do something else. Maybe I want to be back stateside. Um, And there can be a lot of questions because the Foreign Service is a great career, but it's also something that can be kind of niche. And I think it can Mm. sometimes be hard to translate the experience that you get in the Foreign Service as an officer to other industries. And so that's definitely something that I struggled with when I kind of made that decision that I wanted to uh, get out of the Foreign Service, get out of policy, foreign policy work and Uh, maybe focus on something different. It took me a long time Mm and, you know, applying to a lot of things, getting rejected from a lot of things um, before I was able to
1: sort of connect and make that switch. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything in in particular that, that happened that made you feel like you wanted to try something else or was it a gradual thing that occurred over time that made you want to, you know, um, change courses?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I joined the Foreign Service through a fellowship program called the Pickering Fellowship. Mm-hmm. So, in essence, I mean, my my Pickering experience is quite dated at this point, point. Um, and I know the program's changed a lot since I came through, but in essence, I knew, I kind of knew that I was going to be joining the Foreign Service uh, back when I was in college, like a junior in, in college, and so from that point... I finished college, also went to grad school, got my master's, and then went on to join the foreign service. So, it was a long time coming, and I—the best way that I can describe it, as I've had many people ask me this um, same question—is, I think for myself, you know, I can only speak for myself that period from, you know, being somebody who's a new grad to being someone maybe in your mid-twenties, in that point in your career, a lot of things change, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of things change in your life in terms of what you see as priorities, how you see um, your life going, what you want it to be. And I definitely think for me, um, spending that time working in the foreign service, being abroad, they're some of the best experiences that I've had in my life and I wouldn't change them for anything. But there was a point where I realized like, okay, maybe what I thought I wanted or what my priorities are, maybe they've changed. Maybe Mm -hmm. I do really want to be somewhere where I can be closer to friends and family. Um, maybe I don't want a lifestyle where I'm moving around every two to three years. And so those are things that kind of like over time, they sort of bubble to the top and, uh, and I said, okay, so looking at the summation of evidence here, maybe it's time for me to think about something different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I would say it's mostly just looking at um, priorities and what was important to me in a lifestyle and in a career. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I, I think especially since, I mean, you've made that transition out of it, right. and you're still like quite young, so to think that you were at a point where you would already started a career in Foreign Service and were like, you know, I might want to, you know, change things up to mm-hmm. where you are now, you know, and, and, you, and even where you are now, you're still quite young. So it's just like, you know, it's, a, right. it's plenty of time and a good time to, you know, ask those sorts of questions and, and, and make those decisions for yourself. So yeah, yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. Um, it's definitely not, not easy, you know, especially,
0: yeah. I mean, the Foreign Service is a great career. The, the benefits are wonderful. And so it can kind of feel like almost, you know, really scary. Like, what am I giving up kind of making this change? Um, It's also something that's very selective and very difficult to get into, right? Like the Mm -hmm. process to get into the foreign service is very long. It's very tedious, um, super competitive. uh, And so you put in all this work and so you're like, do I really want to do this? But, um, you know, sometimes you just got to take that leap of faith and know that there is green grass on the other side
1: as mm-hmm. well. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, and, and it's worked out for you so far. You know, things are sure are going all right. You feel? Yeah,
0: definitely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's been an adjustment um, working in government. is very different than working in the private sector. And mm-hmm. um, like I said previously, before I moved here to New York, I was uh, in Austin. I worked at Facebook, and so that is a big change, right. Mm-hmm. Um, from working from a government entity, but these are the kind of things that I like, um, that I enjoy because it gives me a chance to learn about something new, uh, kind of get a different perspective. So, um, it's all been really, really useful. Mm-hmm. And I think like, you know, a lot of times people will ask how did you make that jump from the government to tech, especially. And I say, well, it seems really, they can seem really different. At the end of the day, especially the type of work that I was doing, there's so many similarities. So mm-hmm. when you think about policy and policy creation, um, it's all about stakeholders, right? It's about bringing people to the table, oftentimes people who have really different points of view mm-hmm. and different priorities. How do you get everyone to agree on how to um, how to expend finite resources or how to make a decision on how to move forward? Um, it's really just about... Connecting people and relationship building and it's very much the same when you're talking about um, working in something like Content policy that can be really gray. You know Mm -hmm. those big questions that we all think about when we're looking at platforms like What is hate speech? What are you know things that are good or bad? Um, These are not easy questions to answer and everyone has a different point of view. So I saw quite a lot I found quite a lot of similarities um, with kind of the work that I did in foreign policy and in government which was surprising to me but a really pleasant surprise.
1: Mhm. Yeah. I have more questions about like your your career trajectory but before <laughs> that I want to I want to kind of backtrack a bit if that's okay. okay. Uh, so yeah. so you as you mentioned you you started in the foreign service through Pickering the yes. Pickering fellowship that paid right. for your master's degree and then at the after your master's degree you went into the foreign service, right? Is right. that how that works? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but is that is that the route that you were aiming for all along when you were an undergrad? Like, was the foreign service your, was that your goal? Like, yeah. your career of, of choice when you were still an undergrad? No, actually. I,
0: I kind of fell into that program. Hmm. Um, I was a sophomore and I had an academic advisor who said, hey, you're good at languages and you're interested in kind of like public affairs and foreign affairs and political stuff. So have you ever heard about the Pickering Fellowship? Have you ever heard about the Foreign Service? And so Hmm. at that point, you know, conceptually, I knew about, embassies and consulates and conceptually you think like okay there must be people who work there right but i don't think that the foreign service was something that i had ever thought about or Mm -hmm. really looked into in terms of a a career but once my academic advisor sort of said like hey you might want to look into this program uh you know seems like a really good opportunity i was like hey this sounds really cool you know a chance to live abroad and work abroad and represent your country and, um, all of these sorts of things, be a diplomat. That sounds great. And so I just kind of applied and went through the process and ended up getting the, the fellowship, but it definitely wasn't something that, you know, I had sort of planned and said, yes, I want to be a foreign service officer from, uh, a particular point. It was really kind of an unexpected redirect.
1: Mm, okay. Okay. And we, wait, were you at U of M or were you somewhere else?
0: No, I was at Harvard undergrad.
1: Oh, you were at Harvard. Okay. Yeah. My bad. I don't know why no, I assumed no, you were at U of my... M. Okay. Yeah. You were at Harvard. My sister went to U of M. That's who I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> my mm-hmm. bad. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you were at Harvard. I mean, um, so like the foreign service, like the diplomat route was not something you were aiming for. Was there something else that you had in mind or were you kind of just undecided about where you wanted to? To go. Yeah, I wish, and I totally didn't at that point.
0: I, um, my concentration, my major was romance languages, so okay. French, um, mostly. So French is more, the program at Harvard is mostly like a literature and language degree, it's kind of unique. Mm -hmm. Um, So French was was my focus, and I did a little bit of Spanish as well. So the only thing that I really knew coming into college was that I really liked languages. I Mm -hmm. love learning languages, Um, and that's something that's that's been always for me, even when I was in middle school, I think was the first time that we uh, in school started language classes and it was like half the half of the sixth grade class did French and the other half did Spanish. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, you know, it was just like one of those kind of things. And yeah. I, I got put in a class and I was like, Oh my God, I love this. So, um, so I've always loved languages. I've always loved learning languages. I think it's just like a, it's like almost like a hidden key, right? To unlock something new and cool, mm-hmm. um, being able to understand different languages. So that was the only thing that I knew for sure, for sure. And okay. I decided to to concentrate in this like really tiny department at Harvard. I think it's, you know, not more than maybe 30, 40 students every year, at least when I was there, but that's all I had. So I, I would say probably I was the person who, always thought that I was going to go to law school or something, Mm. uh, just because coming out of high school, that was kind of like all that I knew in terms of like, okay, well, if you like to talk and you like to argue and you're good at (laughs) writing, then, you know, you'd be a lawyer. So that's really all that I had. Um, yeah. Or maybe something in like government. Um, but I really didn't know. I, Mm. I really didn't have any concrete ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, but, you know, uh, in a way, that's, that's, that's good. That's almost better in a way, because then yeah, you're I open so to, open to suggestions or alternatives, you know. Uh, I totally feel you about the language thing, because I, I'm the exact same way. I've been the same way since, since, uh, you know, since I was younger in school. Mm-hmm. So I totally get, get where you're coming from with that. Uh, this is a, the very basic question I'm sure you get all the time, but as someone who has been to Harvard, like, What is that like it just seems like this thing that everyone puts on this pedestal and it's seen as like the pinnacle of education here in America yeah I, I don't but I mean I don't know from your personal experience what was what was that like for you yeah it I mean it's hard
0: to put into words um I love Harvard for so many reasons, mm-hmm. right? It, it was such an amazing experience to be there. I did so much growing there. I, I definitely think that there the opportunities that I had, things that I got to do, I would never have otherwise been able to do them. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much like, oh, this isn't available anywhere else or what have you. But I think it's really just like, there's a special energy on campus that really encourages you to grow, to stretch outside of your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. try something new. So there are a lot of things that I try, a lot of things that I get into that I, I probably never would have done otherwise. It gave me a lot of opportunities that I don't even know how I would have come across otherwise. Yeah, uh, it's not without its its challenges, especially being a black student there. As you know, I'd say it's the same across many colleges and universities throughout the country and the world. You know, but I, I really relied on a, a pretty tight knit black community there, um, mm-hmm. and that was something that's also really special to me. And I I, I think that. That's proven by the strength of the relationships that I have with a lot of other students of color, um, to this day. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, it it is as special, I think, as people think or like make it out to be. And I I feel very blessed that I was able to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. It's a
0: really cool place. Um, not perfect by by any means. It's interesting. I I actually, um, this past February, I did as part of something I was working on, did like a little research on W.E.B. Du Bois, Mm -hmm. who uh, was also a Harvard graduate. He was the first um, black student to graduate with a, a, a doctoral degree. And I was in the course of that reading some Of his like personal essays and articles that he wrote while he was there as a student Mm -hmm. and he talked a lot about The challenges that he faced being a black student there, and this is the late 1800s, right? right. Um, And it was like wow, you know I'm reading this and a lot of these things could be applicable to my experience being there like wow over a hundred years later, you know? So, um, so yeah, like it, not without its challenges, but it really, really is an amazing,
1: amazing place to go to school. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I know, again, this is probably a very basic question that you get all the time, but no, <laughs> I was no, just curious. I mean, yeah, of course. I, I, I love talking about it. Yeah. Okay, and and you um so your you know your academic advisor had had suggested like the Pickering Fellowship to you, and you thought it might be a really great thing to get to live and work abroad. Had you traveled or like studied or done anything abroad before you had started on this route to joining the foreign service? Yeah, I had. A few
0: experiences, I would say. Um, Definitely, I think the Foreign Service was my, like, entry point to just have an explosion of, like, overseas experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, I had a few. I never got the chance to study abroad while I was in school uh, Mm -hmm. because I ran track. And so there was never, like, a good semester to go abroad. You Mm -hmm. know, the fall was... Like preseason and then into indoor season and then of course the spring is like you know outdoor season so um, I never did a semester abroad however I did get a chance to do a program the summer after my freshman year mm-hmm. uh, in college that was I guess you could call it an exchange program. Um, myself and about you know fifteen other students from Harvard, we went to a city right outside of Shanghai, China, for a few weeks that summer um, to teach seminars. Seminars that were created by us, designed by us, uh, and the the pitch or to kind of like apply to be in this program was to develop an original kind of seminar type course. Um, that sort of combines an interesting element about uh, U.S. culture, American culture, and maybe some sort of historical element to teach to senior level uh, high school students in China and mm. with the goal of kind of them being able to have this really immersive uh, experience in English and kind of perfect their English language skills Hmm. so uh, I applied for that program and uh, did a seminar and so I was able to spend uh, a few weeks in China that summer and I would say that's probably the closest thing that I had to like a um, study abroad type of experience Okay. Um, and then you know outside of that I would say just more like vacation type experiences abroad before that, or, you know, maybe a few to like Canada for like soccer or something, but, okay. you know, living in Michigan, like yeah. Canada Canada's not so, so exotic so far away. Um, right,
1: right. But yeah,
0: just like things like that, I would say uh, beforehand.
1: Okay, nice. And, and the program you did in China sounds, sounds really cool. Um, yeah, it was. Do you remember what your seminar was about? Yeah, it was um, it was about the
0: history of American fashion. Ooh, so okay. So I basically, you know, it's a I would say it's like a, a 100 type course, like very broad strokes, not not super deep. But the the point of the course was like looking at uh, maybe like a, a hundred year history between maybe roughly 1900 into the 2000s, and speaking about how. Um, the fashion was sort of a reflection of what was going on in America and in the world at the time and mm-hmm. vice versa so a good example being in sort of like the 50s and 60s after uh, the end of the war there was this um, big explosion in consumerism in the U.S., and mm-hmm. so that was kind of like the birth of leisure wear, and so that you know those kind of things, like mm-hmm. looking at specific points in history where fashion was really influenced by what was going on in the world at the time.
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so yeah. Interesting. It, it
0: was really fun. Um, it was like I said, it was a, it was an awesome experience. It was really great to you know feel like I was helping these students. They were so great. They're so eager to learn and, and eager to perfect their English. Um, and they were interested in the topic, which is great because I was also interested in the topic. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a really fun time.
1: Yeah. And and you, so you like, you developed this yourself and you taught it yourself, like each person did everything kind of like right. solo with their seminar?
0: Yeah. Okay. So the, you know, we had some support from the, this was a uh, program that was run by a exchange program at Harvard right mm. so they supported with kind of like helping us develop materials and, and things like that but the idea of the seminar and sort of like what each class would be like we had to kind of develop and pitch ourselves so wow. okay yeah
1: well wow, what, what that's fascinating getting to uh, be in that position as like an educator but you kind of get to teach I mean with with guidelines but like right. whatever you right. want. Yeah, (laughs)
0: yeah, yeah. It was it was great.
1: There was um,
0: I can remember there was another another seminar on like Texas barbecue. I know was one, and I think there might have been another one on. I don't something to do with like gardening, you know? There there were all sorts of things, and Mm -hmm. so it was kind of very diverse array for the students to be able to choose from based on what they were interested in.
1: Yeah, yeah. And i oh, sorry, I know this isn't, conversation isn't about that. I'm just really curious. But yeah, no, it's, uh, it's did you get fine. any feedback from the students about, you know, what you taught them about the history of fashion and all that? Yeah, at the
0: end uh, of this seminar, their assignment was to sort of do kind of like a reflection presentation about, um, either maybe some point in their lives that had an impact on like their sense of fashion Mm -hmm. or if not that you know what kind of period they enjoyed learning about the most and Mm -hmm. so that was really interesting and eye-opening just um, it was everything from you know students talking about like here's a point in my life where I you know kind of develop more confidence in myself and mm-hmm. so the this particular style that I always wanted to wear but I was a little bit too nervous to I decided to do it or you know here is I really enjoyed learning about, I don't know, the, the twenties and, um, the Harlem Renaissance and how people dressed then. And it's so beautiful. And I wish that I was living during that time so I could dress like that, you know, it's just all sorts of different, um, thoughts. And so that's what I really enjoyed the most is just mm-hmm. getting, seeing different ways that the seminar kind of hit people and, and what they took away from it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, fashion is something that's very personal for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a lens through which we view the world. And so it was really interesting to hear that from the students.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. That seems like it it must have been such a a great experience. Like, I don't know, it just sounds so interesting to me.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it was really interesting. And it was funny, too, for me because um, I kind of, again, kind of applied to this program on a whim. I was Mm -hmm. like, I saw it somewhere, you know, maybe posted in my dorm or something. And I was like, this looks cool. And I applied and I got it. And then I remember calling my mom and I was like, Hey, guess what? I'm going to like China. And she was like, what? And I was like, (laughs) Oh, it's going to be fun. Like, you know, don't worry. It'll be great. Um, but you know, I just have that kind of bug. Like I want to get out and and see the world, and so mm-hmm. I never really think about like, wow, this is a really big deal, or this is a long flight, or it's really far away. It just mm-hmm. seems like a you know exciting adventure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So is that kind of a similar thing, a similar attitude you approach the foreign service with? Is that idea of like starting a new adventure or opening yourself up to to future adventures? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, being in the foreign service, uh, as an entry
0: level officer. So for your first and second assignment, uh, you don't get to choose per se where you go. Mm -hmm. Um, so coming into the orientation class, it's kind of a big reveal at the end where everybody gets assigned and, uh, you know, there are, hundreds of different posts right so it could literally be anywhere so you Mm -hmm. kind of have to approach it with an open mind okay my first um assignment was lagos nigeria Mm -hmm. and it you know kind of has this i would say sigma of being like not a desirable place to go and I never understood that because, I mean, I had an amazing time while I was there and I loved it and I think Nigeria is a beautiful country. Um, but yeah, it was sort of like you could see people looking at me uh, during this like um, reveal day where everybody kind of figures out their assignments and they were like, oh, are you going to be okay? And I was like, <laughs> yeah i'm so excited you know it's like i i put this high on my list because i thought it was gonna be really really cool and yeah. so um yeah i've always kind of had this fearless mentality I think you just you have because if you think about it too much i think you're just gonna be in your head and yeah and talk yourself out of it right
1: yeah yeah that's that's a really good point wow that's funny everyone was just like oh like yeah <laughs> like almost almost feeling like sorry for you you're like no this is gonna be great yeah know? it's gonna
0: be great and <laughs> it was great and really to be honest I think I think like the anybody who feels that way has never been there right yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. well I didn't want to to, to, to back up a bit for for people who aren't familiar well, which I feel like it's most people who aren't like in that position but just in you know very basic summation can can you explain what a foreign service officer does
0: yeah absolutely okay. so foreign service officers I think a good way to summarize it is a diplomat right so mm-hmm. um, most it's a good way and then not such a good way because I think when you say diplomat, most people think of this kind of like stereotypical image of you know a bunch of guys sitting around an old table with like tiny flags and stuff. <laughs> and it's like it can be, it can be that, but um, I think it's a, also a lot the a lot bigger picture, mm-hmm. um, and there are a lot of wonderful people um, working at our U.S. consulates and embassies. Overseas, So the people that are staffing these missions, um, that are working to advance uh, U.S. foreign policy interests, working to maintain government-to-government relationships between US, the U.S. and our host countries, these are foreign service officers, right? Mm-hmm. And so there are um, they're kind of a host of different types of work you could be doing depending, you could be doing more like public affairs work, you could be doing more cultural engagement um, running programs, exchange programs things like that, you could be doing consular work which is providing uh, visa services um, for visitors and then also providing American citizen services for um, Americans that may live or are traveling in that country Mm -hmm. Um, you could be doing more like political work which is more reporting um, and kind of keeping track of different issues that are uh, important to us, so yeah, that's just kind of a summary of what a foreign foreign service officer might do. But uh, in total, you can think about it like a diplomat that would work at a U.S. embassy or a consulate.
1: Okay, and and as far as the the type of work that you do, is that more so determined by where you're needed, or or by what you what you studied, like what you specialized in, like what what determines what you end up doing
0: yeah it's a little bit of both so when you're applying to uh, join the foreign service you have to declare what track you're interested in that's what they're they're called so based on like those different job functions that i just described those are different tracks so you do get to declare say like hey i'm I'm interested in doing um consular work so I, i would like to be a consular officer in that sense, you get to, uh, sort of declare where your interests are and what the track is that you'd want to pursue. Now, like I mentioned previously, um, as a, as a new officer, you're assigned your, your first and second tours or assignments. So, um, in that sense, you don't get to choose. You don't get to say like, Hey, I want to go to Paris. So I'm going to Paris. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So you, you, that assignment is based largely on the needs of the foreign service where they need people where they need you know where there's gaps to fill things like that mm-hmm. so um you get a little bit more agency in that process as you continue to progress um but the needs of the foreign service is is definitely a factor so it's kind of like this big uh puzzle and sort of balancing act between like um, what people want and what you know is, is good for like their interest in their career development but then also like where people are needed and where there's the biggest um, kind of gaps to fill.
1: Okay. And um, just another question about the, the process that I had. I know that there's a, there's a foreign service exam, right? But yes. is that waived when you have a fellowship like Pickering or is that still something that you had to do as part of your like transition into that, into that career? Yeah,
0: it's it is definitely not waived. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's like a it's a big misconception with okay. like a lot of the a lot of the fellowship, and um, because Pickering is is one of a few okay. um, fellowships that are designed to uh, attract and retain top level diverse talent into mm-hmm. the into the foreign service. So there are other programs as well, um, and I think, like I said, one of the misconceptions is that if you're in the fellowship, then you like don't have to complete the other, the requirements that somebody just kind of entering, um, through the normal channel would have to do. So mm-hmm. that's not the case. You do have to complete all the steps. Um, at least when I did the program again, like I said, my, my knowledge is dated. So, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure if it's still the same now, but, um, the sort of Uh, I guess I would say being in the fellowship because of the timeline that you're on. So, you know, you finish your undergrad, you have your grad program, you join your orientation class. Um, It may be that you do some of those steps out of order, Mm -hmm. Um, whereas like if you were just applying through the normal channels, it would be like, you know, here's step one. And then if you pass step one, you do step two, if you pass step two, you do step three and so on. Um, so that I think might be a source of like why people seem to think that or, Mm -hmm. or feel that way, but you definitely do have to complete all of the
1: requirements. It's part of the, um, stipulation of the fellowship itself. Okay. Okay. And you, Actually, no, I'm not even gonna guess because I probably don't remember correctly. But you were you were Johns Hopkins, right? That's where you did your master's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what did you study while you were there? So that's a, the program is
0: a masters in international relations okay. and economics. Yeah. Okay. Um, so there are different like sub, I guess areas of concentration that you can choose. So for mine, it was like international law and organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kind of like international relations and economics is uh, standard for everyone. And I would say probably one of the more unique things about the degree program at Johns Hopkins as compared to, you know, some of the other schools that are top programs for this, like the Fletcher School at Tufts, um, you know, the Princeton, etc. So... Yeah, I, I liked that because I, I, I wanted or I pursued being an economic officer in the Foreign Service. And so I definitely wanted to make sure that I had that kind of economic foundation as well.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So you went from there to Foreign Service in your first, place, first uh, country you were placed in was Nigeria. Right. So um, I know that was something you're looking forward to, but this is like a big even though you'd been preparing for this for years it's just still like a big life change a big move that you're making yeah um how did how did you feel leading up to that how did your family feel knowing that you were gonna be away for a good amount of time
0: yeah I definitely think it was an adjustment for for my family I mean we're we're really close family um and even though I had, like, gone away to school and, and had some travel experiences living in a different country, is definitely a first. So I think that they were somewhat used to it just because, again, like, this was a, a long time coming. It was like mm-hmm. they knew that it was going to be happening. And then also, like I said, I've always been the one that's, like, loved to travel, love to see new things. So I kind of, I think they kind of figured it, like, at some point... Something like this was going to happen, um, but yeah, it was a it was a big adjustment. I still remember I left for my assignment kind of like right before Christmas.
1: Oh, um, yeah, and so
0: <laughs> so I still remember like going shopping with my mom trying to. Um, get all the things that I needed and, uh, making sure it was ready for like the movers to come and pick up my stuff and getting there right before Christmas and, um, you know, being new and still kind of being in my temporary like housing while things were getting set up and stuff. And it was just kind of like, Oh, this is kind of lonely. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) I probably wasn't the best idea for me to come right before Christmas, but, Mm -hmm. um, but you know, I made it and, yeah, it, I I had probably the least amount of apprehension that anyone can have. Um, so with that, I, I didn't really have any like expectations, right? So mm-hmm. I think that kind of allowed me to be resilient and to be open-minded and just say like, hey, this is the start of something new. And no matter what happens, it's going to be a good experience, a worthwhile experience.
1: Yeah. And you were there for the first... I mean, are they called stations? Like, would you say you were stationed there? Uh, no. The, or post? A post like
0: military terminology, right, right. yeah, like post-
1: posted there, signed there, yeah, okay. or served served there, yeah. Okay. So, how long did you serve in Nigeria? Was it two years? Yeah, for two years. Okay, all right, and so, I mean, I'm sure a lot of things happened during that time. Are there any like? major things that come to mind of things that happened or things that were impactful for you during your time in Nigeria? Yeah, I I think,
0: first of all, getting the opportunity to travel a lot while I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, being in Africa, it's a lot easier to travel than like trying to come from the U S or from Europe or somewhere else. Um, like just getting into to Africa can sometimes be challenging. Right. So I, I definitely tried to take advantage to the extent that I could to travel around. So I got to see so much of West Africa. Um, also, you know, being in the foreign service, you have kind of like a built in network of like places to stay, right. Because Mm. you have, you know, people, colleagues that are posted in the next country over, um, and stuff like that. So it was also like a rather inexpensive way to travel. Um, a number of my, uh, colleagues that I did orientation with, we were all posted to different places in, um, sub-Saharan Africa and West Africa. So we got, we all kind of like traded back and forth visiting each other. So that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Um, and again, something that I think was like a a singular experience that I got to have because of being in the foreign service and kind of being there at that time. Mm -hmm. Um, during the time that I was there, um, Nigeria had a national election. And so that was really interesting. I got to kind of travel around and be an observer on election day. So um, that was something that was uh, just incredible. You know, I I think given like we're in an election cycle here in the US, and I know that um, there's always talk about like, apathy among U.S. voters and, um, you know, just the, the challenge with people not thinking that voting is worth it or worth mm-hmm. their time. And so it was really eye-opening to be in a place where people take voting so seriously um, mm-hmm. and are really passionate about it and you know, really, really respect and revere that right um, so that was something that really left a deep impression on me as well. But there were just all sorts of you know experiences like that, whereas I, as it was happening, it was like, I know like this is gonna be something that I remember yeah. forever,
1: you know mm-hmm. wow, so you got to you got to travel around. I'm sure you got to know um Lagos pretty well since you were living there for a couple of years. Um, did you get any visitors from back home? Did you, or did mm. it was it more of a thing where you just kind of, you know, really immersed where you were and tried to find your own people around you locally?
0: Yeah, I didn't really get, um, visitors from back home. I think it was more so, like, visiting, you know, friends that were, like, in the area or that mm-hmm. were regional, and then being there, I also had... Uh, the ability to, like, come back home periodically uh, for, like, uh, rest and recuperation, that sort of thing. So Mm -hmm. I spent most of that time, like, coming back home and seeing family and stuff like that. So it was really more so me going, like, the opposite way when I had the opportunity. Yeah. 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 Okay.
1: Well, you said something about how Nigeria isn't, like, a a sought-after place that people wanted to be wanted to serve Mm -hmm. um is there like a specific reason for that or was it just like you said like uh like ignorance basically
0: yeah I think it's more so the the latter um it's it's not it was never clear to me okay um you know I just kind of gathered that from like some of the reactions right that um people kind of uh, approached me with but yeah I think like I said before, it, it mostly has to do with like coming from people who have never been, right? Mm-hmm. And just say like, "Well, I heard this," or "I think it's like that." Um, but
1: yeah, just mostly, mostly ignorance, I would say. Okay, all right, and and that was Nigeria, and then the the next place that you were. Yeah, that next assignment was to Rome, Italy,
0: uh, to work at the embassy there. Yeah. Okay. Which was exciting for me because it was a chance to learn Italian, too. Um, Mm. And so that's, like, one of the the romance languages that I never really studied. Um, So that was a a really great experience to be able to uh, learn Italian to, you know, it's not like a – it's not like you – walk out speaking like a a native speaker, but Mm -hmm. um, learning it to a a level of business proficiency to be kind of effective at, uh, at your job and at your role, um, engaging with, uh, Italian counterparts. So, Mm -hmm. um, that was really cool. And yeah. yeah, So again, it was like a, okay, well you kind of like, it's almost like going into the the sorting hat or something. And it's like, (laughs) all right, I'm going to go in here and, and see how it works out. And so, um, it wasn't a place that I necessarily was like thought about or hoped for or, you know, anything like that. I was mm-hmm. just like, okay, I'll keep a, keep an open mind. And so that's what I, um, ended up getting and, and it was really, it was really cool. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Now, now I know, well, cause I, I have a friend who, who, who's in the foreign service. Like she, she just moved to her first placement, uh-huh. um, so I know, like you go through training and all that. Did you Correct, have to yeah. go through any like linguistic training going to Nigeria? Like I know English is like the major, or like might even yeah. be official language there. But was there other linguistic training that you had to go to undergo before yeah, you? Yeah,
0: not for not for my um, assignment. Okay, I think there are um, a few positions where you would undergo some language training, but I'd say the majority, no, they uh, rely on that. Yeah. English. I mean, English is a predominant language in Nigeria as well, but it, it's interesting because I definitely think that once I was there, I was able to pick up on like different words and things from a lot of the local dialects. I mean, there's so many, Mm -hmm. uh, dialects and languages that are spoken in Nigeria, especially in Lagos, where you get people from all over the rest of the country and the region who live there and work there. Um, so, yeah, so I, I picked up on that and also picked up on, like, pigeon and, and um, things. I would say how, how people kind of communicate in a more colloquial, everyday fashion. But mm-hmm. it wasn't something that um,
1: that I was taught as part of my training. Gotcha, gotcha. And then w- with Italy, as far as learning Italian goes, was that something you had to prepare for while you were still in Nigeria, or did that start after you moved to Italy already?
0: No, that was like a, it was an in-between time. So yeah, it's kind of like built into your rotation is like how much time will you need to train for your onward assignment. So at that point during that training period, I was back in DC, um, for I think maybe like eight, eight, nine months, maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, so it was like, you know, Nigeria to DC
1: and then to
0: Rome. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, how did your experience in Rome, like, differ, or maybe it was similar to, like, being in Nigeria? Like, obviously, mm. you're still in the same position, yeah. uh, but it's a different location. Probably different things are needed yeah. for you, you know?
0: It was, um, it, it was interesting for me. So Lagos is a—our our mission in Lagos is a consulate, the U.S., um, mission in Langos is, is a consulate, which means that it's like a, I guess, like a satellite of, mm-hmm. you could say, of the embassy. So the embassy is based in Nigeria's capital, which is Abuja. Um, but, you know, because they're, Because of the, the demand, the scale, you know, lots of, lots of factors. We also have a consulate in Lagos to serve that population locally for a variety of functions. And Mm. so it's definitely a different experience being at a consulate versus um, being at the embassy in Rome. And I think it's just kind of the sheer, like the vibe that comes along with like being there with the ambassador, you know, so it's like you're walking through the halls and the ambassador will walk by or he might be like having a meeting with some, you know, other heads of state or whatever. And mm-hmm. so um, I think that just kind of like elevates the so, like formal nature of the atmosphere, um, things like that. So it's also a, a bigger um, mission in, um, Rome, so there were a lot of, a lot more, um, I'd say, government functions that were there, and so it, it just ended up being a lot more people. So it was kind of like a little mini city almost, mm. um, as to as compared to like being in in uh, Lagos, where the consulate was a lot um, smaller. Mm. So those are some of the big differences in terms of like just living there. Um, you know, it is definitely different living kind of the European lifestyle and and particularly in Italy. So, Uh, a lot of people, you know, take to getting like little mopeds and things like that, where I, I didn't, um, I lived in a place where I was able to like walk back and forth to work and stuff and I didn't have a car. So, Mm -hmm. um, so I did a lot of walking and taking the bus and things like that. Whereas, you know, we didn't do as much of that in, in Nigeria. So it's just kind of like a, a total life adjustment, like those little things, like how do you commute? Mm -hmm. Um, when and where do you get your groceries? What do you do for fun? You know all of those sorts of things. It's different. Um, it's kind of the stuff that you have to learn over again when you move to a new place. Mm-hmm. For myself, it, it's kind of part of the fun you <laughs> know, figuring out how you're gonna like yeah make your life and the things that you like to do sort of fit into this new situation. But it was it's an adjustment, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. that adjustment can be a little a little frustrating, frustrating or a little like frazzling on your nerves.
1: Mm-hmm. So I I mean for you, how long do you think it took for you to get used to the way things were in Rome versus what you had come to be used to before?
0: Yeah, I I would say at least for me like six months. That's what okay. I try to give myself for any new place. Yeah. Um so like I said, I've I, I lived in Austin previously and now I'm here in New York and um I try to give myself that time to really adjust. Um, I think it's one thing to sort of like be in kind of your adrenaline survival mode and say, Okay, I have to get this done. I have to sort of like set things up. I have to unpack my boxes. I have to figure out my commute. I have to like figure out which way I need to go on the train. Like that's something I had to do when I moved here to New York. Mm -hmm. Um those are the things that I think are kind of like you have to do or you you put on your list and you check them off because that's just surviving.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: what about really thriving? Um, really feeling comfortable, feeling like you own your space and you know what you're doing. Um, that takes time. And yeah. so I I usually say six months, but even then, you know, it can be longer sometimes. Mm-hmm. And you might not even notice um, those little things that like, hmm, I'm not exactly fully in sync here but i try to check in about that 6
1: month mark and see how i'm doing with an adjustment mhm yeah it's good that you give yourself that that amount of time you know cuz it's not like maybe part of it kind of like kicks in for you as someone who who's used to moving and traveling at this point mm-hmm. but also um, some things aren't as instantaneous like it still takes time to get used to so it's good that you allow yourself that that adjustment period you
0: know yeah I mean definitely one thing like when I was in Nigeria it was like one thing I don't have to worry about is where to get my hair done there are plenty <laughs> right, of places right, right? Like, you know, but being in Italy it was a different story yeah. like where do I get my hair done that was a huge question yeah. so it, it just it, those little things are going to depend based on where you are um and sometimes it just takes time to figure it out
1: mm-hmm. i mean so what did you do with your hair in italy since you mentioned it uh, yeah t- <laughs> good, it's a good
0: question i i really um stuck with the braids a okay lot, you know that <laughs> just makes it easy um and so that that's basically what i did and like i actually didn't get my hair done like in italy it was always either like traveling somewhere or like being back home yeah getting a refresher yeah yeah because i just i i I never ended up you know finding someone um so that was just one of those
1: things yeah i mean and if you found someone they might be really expensive too because their services are so rare you know exactly Yeah. yeah okay and you mentioned like traveling around while you were in nigeria i'm sure you did some of that, too, while you were in Italy as well. But, like, outside of work, what other things did you do? Did you, like, pick up any hobbies along the way? Or, you know, just when you weren't working, you know, what were you doing?
0: Yeah. Um, well, I, I love eating, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to put it plainly. So um, did a lot of, like, you know, restaurant hopping, trying to find new places to eat and to mm-hmm. try Um, I would say that was like the same in both places Um, I also do a lot of reading so you know I'm I'm more than fine with just kind of like staying at home with a a book and and things like that Mm -hmm. in terms of hobbies um, I would say I have generally the same hobbies everywhere so like working out and running, you know, I still like to run. Um, I don't sprint anymore, unfortunately, like I did when I was in college. It's just, like, it's not a sport that's really conducive to, like, carrying on in an intramural type of way. Um, mm. But I try tried to, tried to get into, like, more of the distance running and stuff like that. So I did some, like, 5Ks, 10Ks, that sort of thing. Wow. Um, yeah, those are, those are probably, like, my... My hobbies and they're they're all pretty like portable. Um, Yeah. So I wouldn't do them necessarily. Yeah, necessarily like something
1: new. Okay. Okay. All right. And um, I mean, where? Assuming you got a chance to travel around while you were in Italy, what 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 places did you did you visit while you were living there?
0: Yeah, I I didn't know a ton about. Italy before I went or before I guess I started learning about it in the context of preparing for my new assignment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had been to a couple places like in Europe before. I'd never been to Italy. Mm -hmm. Um, so Italy is a really beautiful country. It's like, it's interesting because it's so it's kind of like small and compact and so it's easy to travel and sort of get from one tip of Italy to the other mm-hmm. um I definitely had some cool experiences getting to travel in the context of work so I got to go to Sicily um that is where the G7 was being held that year mm-hmm. uh, that I was um there working at the embassy so I got to go down there and see Sicily, which was really cool. I spent some time like Florence going up to like the Umbria region, which is kind of like the Tuscan sort of wine country, um, which is a very popular thing to do and is, you know, extremely gorgeous. Um, Outside of Italy, I got to do some traveling around Germany, again, visiting like another colleague slash friend of mine who was posted there at the time. Um, France is a place that I've been to before, but I always love going back to. So, you know, being in Europe, one of the benefits is that it's so easy and cheap to travel around. Mm -hmm. Um, So once you're there, you know, you can take what seems like insanely cheap, like train rides and flights Um, just because everything is is so connected. So I definitely took advantage of that uh, while I was there. But Mm -hmm. I would say I took most advantage of traveling in Italy um, because, again, it was the kind of thing where it's like, well, who knows when when I might be back or when I might be able to do this again. So um, I tried to go. I tried to sort of like always say yes. Like if somebody like from the embassy was saying like, hey, we're going to take a car and go up here. Like, yes, let's go. Um, So I got to see some, maybe like more off the beaten path kind of things um, that way. Some of the
1: smaller hilltop towns and and stuff like that. Okay. Nice. That sounds like... That's wonderful that you got to explore Italy that way, you know?
0: Yeah, I think to the extent that you can, I like to, when you have that kind of, like, I'm posted abroad experience or wherever you are, I think that there is so much value in just really exploring the places in whatever country you're in. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, going to those small towns, going to, like, those off-the-beaten-path kind of places because those are the ones where you may not get another chance to go, right. um, and it's really cool to see and sort of maybe get outside of the big tourist
1: centers and stuff like that. So I, I tried to do as much of that as I, as I could. Mm-hmm. For sure. And and was that your the last place that you were placed in, or was there another one after yeah. Italy? that was it. That was, that was it. it. And then you yeah. decided to tr- transition out of the Foreign Service. Okay. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Wow, okay, so that's what four years in total that you were that you were yeah, in? yeah,
0: about okay. about four and a half
1: yeah or so with um kind of like
0: training and and all
1: of that sort of stuff, so
0: okay, yeah, wow, wow, a very quick but very interesting career,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, four <laughs> years doesn't sound quick to me at all to be honest yeah. four and a half years you know, like two assignments <laughs> is like
0: nothing, but yeah, it, it yeah it's not an insignificant amount of time for Mm -hmm. sure yeah Yeah.
1: what would you say are like um some of the I mean obviously from your own personal experience but like some of the like perks of being in that line of work but uh you mentioned being able to like connect with other people who are living elsewhere, so you have yeah. other people you can visit, other places you can visit. Right. Are there any other like things that you could call perks that come along with, with the job?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, like I said before,
1: what is special about
0: a career like the Foreign Service is being able to uh, have this really unique career where you get to say that you're representing your country, you get to say that you're representing... Um, U.S. interests. You're serving uh, American citizens wherever they are in the world. That's mm-hmm. it's a, a very, I think, special thing that not everybody gets to say that they, you know, kind of did something in their career in the service of of the country. I think that's pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think kind of like what I've described with some of the unique scenarios that I got to be a part of, you just never know, like, Being in something like the Foreign Service, where you're moving around, you're getting assigned to different places, you never know what is going to happen, right? You never know what kind of like combination of like current events and um, politics and foreign affairs, like what intersection is going to include something interesting about your country. You Mm -hmm. know, think about people that are posted to a certain country during the Olympic games or during an election or during, you know, just these kind of things where it's like a once in a lifetime experience to mm-hmm. be there and to see it and to be a part of it. Um, and I think that's one of the special things about the foreign service, because you can't, you can't predict these things. You can't recreate these things. They're mm-hmm. sort of like a singular moment in time and you get to say, Hey, I was there or, Hey, I helped out with that. Um, and and that I think is, is really cool. And then also, I think just getting a chance to, to see the world, you know, Mm -hmm. and to see not just be there for, you know, a few days or a week, but to live there and really absorb the culture and be able to, um, to interact with people in their everyday lives and sort of learn that, uh, fine detail about that particular country, that particular culture that you're just not going to get with a sort of casual visit, Mm -hmm. um, those I think are the are the biggest perks to to being in a position like that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Well, it certainly makes it seem you know for for what it was, it seems like it was it was worthwhile. Um, I like how you yeah. said it was something that you can't predict, but also can't recreate. You know, these like once in a lifetime uh, occurrences that you get right. to experience. Yeah. It, was there anything for you that was. Um, particularly challenging about about this role um or about the role itself or just living abroad for as long as you did anything that was particularly challenging to you yeah I I definitely think that especially
0: for for myself you know I was in the foreign service as a young um woman I, I was living by myself, you know, I didn't have like a spouse or kids or anything like that. And so Mm -hmm. I think that, um, it can feel kind of isolating, right? Mm -hmm. I think that there are, um, there are a lot of people in the foreign service who have the benefit of having like that immediate nuclear family with them, right? They have their spouse with them, they have their kids with them, Mm -hmm. you know, other immediate family members. And so when you're moving to a new place, like having your family with you is that kind of that feeling of having an instant like network and feeling supported and things like that. And so when you're moving around by yourself, um, it can definitely feel lonelier Mm -hmm. and, and feel, like I said, a little bit more isolating. And so, um, especially I think when I was in uh, Nigeria and so it was a little bit farther away in terms of like getting back to the, to the U S just in terms of like time and distance. Um, Mm -hmm it, you know, there were, there were periods where I had that kind of like FOMO or being like, Oh, all my friends are getting together here this weekend and I can't <laughs> be there. You know, yeah. that, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and you kind of feel like, um, feel the weight of like, Oh, well, have I like missed out on some of these things? Especially, um, like being a, a, a newer grad, I think, especially, for myself, a lot of, um, my friends and like classmates and stuff, people kind of like congregate in like New York and like in the Northeast, kind of like right after school, you know, it seems like everybody's in the city. Right. And so (laughs) it's like, Oh, like Mm -hmm. I'm not there, you know, and, um, I'm like, you know, missing out, like on the, you know, the get togethers and things like that. So you can definitely have those, those kind of feelings. And I think for me, that was, that was somewhat of a, of a challenge kind Mm -hmm. of feeling sort of far away. And like, you're like, you're missing out. And also just like staying connected with people. Uh, When you're abroad, when you're overseas, um, you almost have to work twice as hard to Mm. like, stay in contact with people and feel like you're um, keeping up with people. And I think maybe not even so much for yourself, or at least I can speak for myself. I know that like, I'm kind of like a nomadic person, and I like to travel. I like to wander, and so I may not always feel um, that disconnect or feel like I'm not, you know, really in the loop with people. But I think other people might feel differently, right? Like they mm-hmm. might say, like, "Hey, like you moved away, and I haven't heard from you," or you know, things like that. And so I think it, it was a learning experience for me to kind of like change my thinking and say like, okay, well, I, I want to make sure that people still know that even though I may not be there, I'm still interested in your life. I still Mm want to feel present in your life. Um, and that can take an adjustment as well. And it can take a lot of effort, especially when you're talking about things like um, having big time differences and figuring out the best way to communicate. Is it FaceTime? Is it WhatsApp? Is it something else? Um, those things take work and, But I think that, you know, for the relationships that really matter the most to you, you'll figure out a way to do that.
1: Yeah. It sounds like, and I guess that's similar with any, any person who's away from the people that they care about, not just mm-hmm. someone who's living in another country, but like, yeah. you kind of have to be more intentional than you would need to be if, you know, if you were in the same town or the same region with everybody, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay did that become easier once you moved back and 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 kind of established roots again back in the states yeah yeah i mean just
0: from a logistical standpoint yeah. i mean if it's something like hey we all want to meet up here this weekend and do this It's not like, okay, well, that's going to be like an 18 hour flight, and then I got to get, like, I got to change planes here, and then I got to, you know, versus like, okay, yeah, I can hop on a plane and, you know, be there in an hour or something like that. Right. That that right there, I think, is just a a huge difference in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, being able to be more connected and and do some of those things. Mm -hmm. So uh, I definitely felt that kind of moving back to the States and, um, planning some roots down here. But like you said, it, it still can be um, as challenging, even if you are like in the same country or in the same city or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, you like just don't see each other all the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's definitely been easier, but I think I've employed a lot of the same best practices. Like you talked about, about being intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't forgotten those. And I think that they um, work well, no matter where you are.
1: Yeah. Definitely. Something I'm just curious about, because since I, you know, kind of grew up around you all, like you and your sisters and everything, mm-hmm. you, you're the oldest, right? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, with with the whole foreign service thing or just the fact that you're, you know, moving to another country, like, you know, these big major things that you're doing did you feel like you had to or that you wanted to set an example for your sisters or was it just you know oh this is Katrina she's doing her thing and you know Danielle or does she prefer Lauren I don't know what she prefers yeah but
0: she 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 goes with Lauren mostly
1: now yeah okay but you know Lauren's doing her own thing so was it more of that or do you feel like you were setting any type of president for your sisters it's
0: a very interesting question i think just because like um the three of us we are really different right and so Mm -hmm. i think um we've always had different interests sort of like academically and looking at like career path and stuff like that so Mm -hmm. like i said i studied french um my sister studied uh Biology, right in, wow, in school. Yeah. She's kind of like into the hard sciences and things like that. So I, I don't know if it was necessarily like, oh, I, I want to be a foreign service officer like Katrina. I I, I highly doubt that crossed <laughs> either of my sisters' minds. <laughs> okay. um, yeah, but I, I think just the uh, the broader like, you know, I, I'm of course as an older sister, I want to like set as the best example that I can. Um, and I think just the concept of like being open and being fearless and just say, sort of saying, Hey, go for it, you know, Mm -hmm. try this new thing, go to this new place. Um, that is something that I think we all share and definitely like traveling, you know, enjoying traveling and kind of seeing something new is something that we all share as well. And I think for um, my younger sisters now, like we, um, None of, we've all moved away from Michigan at this point mm-hmm. and are living and working in different places. And so I think to to that extent, just to say like, hey, it can be done um, and you can go somewhere and you can kind of like, not just, you know, survive, but you can thrive there. It mm-hmm. um, is something that I hope is a major takeaway for them and something that I see in terms of like the, the career choices
1: that we've all made to this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah yeah and and you as you mentioned previously you went from foreign service to did you when you moved back did you move straight to austin or were you in dc again for a while and then moved to austin no i I moved straight to to austin oh wow okay and now you're in new york okay yeah okay do you um just like in a very broad sense is there anything that you would advise for someone who's looking to change careers in the way that you did
0: yeah I could definitely give some maybe high-level points Mm -hmm. so um, one of the things that I talked about briefly before in terms of my experience moving out of like the Foreign Service out of government into private sector I think One of the challenges I faced was understanding how to, um, kind of design my resume in Mm -hmm. such a way that the experience that I had and the, um, and the skills that I had developed in a position like being a foreign service officer would translate to, um, something like a private sector role. Mm -hmm. And so that was all about just understanding, like, keywords and understanding, um, different terminology. It's almost like learning a new language, right? Mm-hmm. So how we might um, talk about something in, in the Foreign Service is going to be very different than how we might talk about that same strength in the private sector. And so whatever industry you're interested in kind of pivoting into, um, looking at you know what are the kind of keywords, what are the buzzwords, what are people talking about, how are they talking about it? and um, sort of constructing your resume in that way so that it speaks to somebody who's looking for that type of experience. Mm -hmm. You could have the same experience, but it might be in a different industry, or it might be um, geared toward a different type of project, but you can show that that experience you have is still relevant Mm -hmm. and very applicable to whatever kind of new position you want to get into. Um, so that, that's one thing. And I think like once I started looking at, um, how to sort of convey that on my resume, I started getting a lot more positive feedback when I would like apply to positions and and things like that, instead of just like applying into a black hole and Mm -hmm. and never hearing anything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I've received advice before that like, if you're looking to, um, make some sort of career pivot it's either going to be on like one of two axes like it's going to be the same type of job in a different industry or it's going to be same industry but a different type of job but like not usually both at the same time um which i think is it mostly holds true i I wouldn't say that it can't be done but mm. i definitely think it depending on how big of a switch you're looking to make um, it's maybe a way that you can think about looking at, okay, what would I want my next role to be if I was gonna make that change? Is it something that's in the industry but maybe a different type of role? Mm-hmm. Or is it something that I wanna be in a different industry or a different field of work? Is there a connectivity point with what I'm doing now? And so yeah. for me, um, working in the Foreign Service, uh, the policy angle was something that I saw as a connecting point to not just being in tech, but a, a variety of of different industries where people who have that kind of policy making, policy writing, um, stakeholder engagement type experience could be really valuable. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like the axis that I pivoted on.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's really insightful. Thank you for for sharing that. Sure. Um, Another advice-related question for for people who are looking to to move abroad or work abroad or even just just travel more. Do you have any any advice for that regarding traveling or working internationally? Hmm.
0: Well, I guess I will start with working internationally, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I th- I think that today, especially with so many, uh, companies that are working and operating on a global scale. I think you, if you start looking, you'll find a surprising amount of opportunities to, um, be posted abroad or work abroad, even temporarily, um, for like work purposes. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, I think it's a lot easier when you're like working at an organization that maybe has offices in other countries um, or engages with a lot of like uh, partners or vendors or what have you that might be in other countries, Um, but it never hurts to sort of make that pitch and, and say like, if you can kind of come up with a, a pretty good business purpose to say, hey, I'd like to like go see this vendor site, or I'd like to um, you know spend some time working out of this office, and here's why. Like those are the types of things where it's like you could go and it would be great. Like if your employee could, or employer could sponsor your trip, right? So mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about those sorts of um, like the cost of travel and, and things like that. I also think that there are like specific sectors that lend themselves more to um having being able to have more opportunities to to travel abroad so tech is definitely one of them um you see a lot of tech companies that have offices all over um engage with like kind of like on the government relations side engage with like uh heads of government and um and governmental organizations in, in a lot of countries globally so you might also want to consider like when you're looking at industries to be in ones that sort of lend themselves to that kind of like international perspective and international type work um for the travel i think that there are so many avenues to get into traveling like I, I, one of the things that um I think comes up a lot. People say, like, I want to travel, but I don't really know where to start. Hmm. You know, it's like, where where do I go? Or I'm scared to go by myself. Um, You know, how do I sort of put everything together? It seems insurmountable. And so I always say, like, start small. I mean, I know we jokes like before about like growing up in michigan like we both did and like canada's kind of right next door Mm -hmm. but yeah you know it is kind of like a an entry point you know Mm -hmm. like try try going somewhere even if it's not out of the country try you know going somewhere that's an hour flight and then maybe a two-hour flight and then maybe a three-hour flight maybe a three-hour flight will get you like to Canada or to Mexico or somewhere that's like a cross border. And then you can sort of have that experience of like getting your passport and going through customs and all those things that can seem kind of scary when you've never done them before in a, a somewhat more relaxed environment. You know, like us has very strong relations with Canada and uh, with Mexico. So, you know, there it's, it's, not so nerve-wracking to be like going through customs or something like that in in one of those um one of those airports like kind of get your feet wet with those Mm -hmm. sorts of things or maybe for you it's a place where a lot of people in that country speak English or speak whatever language you're most comfortable with. And so it's not a, a situation where you're going somewhere where nobody speaks the language that you speak it can also be something that's like very challenging. Mm-hmm. So just kind of start small um, and then continue to build from there. That would be my best advice for kind of getting into to traveling.
1: Yeah, I like how um, how you how you framed it as something that you can like, Build up to, or like you can start at one place and then and build it up. Because I know for yeah. some people, diving in head first works better for them. But it mm-hmm. can also be something that you build onto over time. You know, it just depends yeah. on the person and what approach works for them. So yeah,
0: I mean, I'm definitely more of a like dive in head first person, but I know <laughs> that that doesn't
1: work for everybody. Yeah, um, especially for people who
0: have apprehensions about like I said, about traveling or about traveling alone or going somewhere really far away or, um, you know, all of those sorts of things. So it, it doesn't hurt to, to start small mm-hmm. and to kind of, like, set goals and say, okay, I want to take one trip this year. I want to get on one plane this year um, and really just, just go from there.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And for you, I mean, is there any place that... Um places that you want to visit in the near future or the far off far off future
0: Hmm. i mean everywhere everywhere i haven't been that's just like (laughs) right (laughs) that's the list for me right like everywhere i've never been before is is where i want to go um there are definitely some places in italy that i wanted to go to and didn't get the chance. So, um, my tour in Italy was like cut slightly short. Um, when I like got my new position in in Austin. So, Hmm. It's like, oh, you know, if I had a little bit more time, I would have gone here and here. So, like, the Dolomites is something that I definitely want to see in Northern Atlanta. I never got a a chance to get up that far. Mm -hmm. So that's something that's on my list. Um, I've actually never been to uh, South America. I've never been anywhere in South America. So that's perennially on my list. Like, I'm always looking for, like, you know, what occasion can I go? Who can I get to go with me? You know, that sort of thing. So I would love to see anywhere um in South America, that's
1: probably my my biggest one mm. okay, well, I hope you that you get to explore all the places as many places as you can that you haven't been yet yeah yeah, <laughs> and oh, I meant to ask this earlier, but just just for the sake of asking, since you are someone who has uh worked as a foreign service officer and you've been through all that had that experience, is that something you would? Recommend to someone who is interested in that, in that line of work? Yes,
0: definitely. Okay. Um, I, again, I think that it is a um, wonderful career. And for people who um, really are into the lifestyle and understand that the Foreign Service is not just a career, but it's also a lifestyle, mm. um, there's no better position to me. If you're interested in foreign policy and diplomacy and um, you know kind of like intergovernmental relations if that's your thing there's no better career to have than than being in the Foreign Service Mm -hmm. so I would definitely recommend uh, anybody who's interested in that to look into it um, to try it out and the other thing to mention too is like um, if you're interested in learning more about the fellowship Programs, so you don't have to be in in college to um, to apply for their programs. A lot of the programs also have postgraduate uh, mm. versions of the program as well. So again, we were talking about like making that pivot and whatever, you know, another kind of classic way to make a pivot into a new field or industry is going back to school, right? Mm. Um, so if that's something that you're interested in, like getting a master's in international relations or something similar, you should definitely look at some of the programs that are, that are associated with that and uh, get, you know, get funding for your school.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's really good advice. And I think also it's good that as much as you got out of it, that... You know, it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing if, if that doesn't work for you. You know, you kind of, right. your life is kind of an example of that. But you still seem to have gained a lot from it while you were there. So,
0: yeah. you know. Yeah, and I, I, I definitely think for people, um, for people who are, like, younger and, and starting out in their careers... You don't have to think about it as a, a lifetime, a lifelong thing. And I think the foreign service, along with other um, kind of like government institutions, they are kind of grappling with that fact that a, a lot of people, you know, maybe as compared to uh, older generations, a lot of young people don't necessarily think of one job being the only job that they're going to have, or. Mm-hmm you know, thinking that, like, you have to stay in a particular role for a certain amount of time. Um, and so there, there are a lot of, a lot of people who, who kind of have that same perspective and have made that same decision. And I also know people who have, like, joined the Foreign Service and left and then joined again at a point later in life. Oh, wow. um, yeah. So one of the cool things about it is that, like, as an institution, it's not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're always looking for, you know, the best people for the job. And so it's it's definitely okay
1: to to try something different. Yeah. I totally agree with that. Um wow. Okay. I feel like I've learned so much from you today. So I'm <laughs> thank so <glad>. you for <laughs> taking the time to, to speak with me today about yeah. Your, this has been fun. Your experiences. Um the last question I, I ask everyone is there any place online that you would like people to reach you or keep up with you?
0: Oh yeah, I mean you can always follow me on Instagram. Uh I admit that I'm not a prolific poster, but I do <laughs> I do um, you know, check in and you know post occasionally and stuff like that. So if people ever want to reach out or, you know, just stay in touch with what I'm up to, they can definitely um follow me on Instagram and my handle is Kn Drayton is my last name.
1: Okay. Kn Drayton on Instagram perfect okay well I'll um that's all for me thank again thank you for your time and for um being so insightful and and willing to share about the some of the things that you've done I and I know you have to get some work things coming up this evening so I won't hold you up uh but I just want to say thank you again yeah well
0: thanks so much for reaching out to me this was really fun and um I'm more than happy to talk about this kind of stuff I find it interesting and I love the idea of inspiring um, young black students to think about living abroad or studying abroad or working abroad so mm-hmm. thank you a lot for reaching out to me it's really good to reconnect with you
1: yeah yeah likewise and 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 you're very welcome and thank you as well it was great to uh, again I had an idea of some of the things you were up to but not like, not everything so (laughs) it's nice to be a little more informed so um but uh i hope you have a great evening and a great weekend and um uh again like i said i'll be in touch okay Okay, sounds good all right talk to you later katrina okay all right bye bye all right y'all there it is Thanks to Katrina for being such a wonderful guest. And I hope you like how this all turned out. For the rest of you listening, don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are. And you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So, as I mentioned, <laughs> next week is the Young Gifted and Abroad's second anniversary. So there will be a celebratory episode. On Friday, June 19th, June 19th. Um, and then after that, I'll be going on a short break until July. So you can look forward to celebrating Young Gifted and Abroad's second anniversary with me next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time. Life can be so sweet on